0: Welcome, everyone, to this new episode of Sales Spin, where we bring the top people in sales in the world and break down the learnings for anyone to understand. Whether you're trying to get into sales or trying to improve your game, there's something for everyone. Our today's guest has spent 20 years in sales, hitting quota after quota, and recently developed love for coaching. She's met Oprah in person and had a chat which she will cherish forever. Once you will talk to her, you'll feel like you know her forever. Today, she trains SDRs and AEs of companies of all sizes. She leads by example, can relate to people from different walks of life, and has a very warm personality. Please join me in welcoming Michelle Hecht. Michelle, I do want to start with your opera story. I'm really, really excited. Although I read all your articles as to how you met, but I'm pretty sure the audience who is probably listening to this right now uh, would definitely want to know, how did you, how did you meet the opera? So, <laughs>
1: it's great! It's a great story. And I wish that I could tell you that it was planned and that I was looking forward to it, but it was completely unplanned and spontaneous. So some friends and I went to Denver last mm-hmm. year, right before COVID, right before everything shut down. And we had tickets to see her on her 2020 vision tour. And when we got there, um, Maybe on the plane. We, well, we knew we a friend. One of the friends I was traveling with surprised us and got us VIP tickets for a meet and greet with wow. Oprah. It was just at the very end, you know, meet greet, photo opportunity, private luncheon. You know, in the in the Pepsi Center, they were like fifteen thousand people. So the show was incredible, so empowering. Um, at the end, everyone took their turn to go up and talk to her. She specifically said that she doesn't have time. To spend with every single person, even though she would like to, mm-hmm. so it has to be quick, like a minute or two. And she was so gracious, so wonderful. So when it was my turn to walk up to her and to say hello and whatnot, I was I was standing there and, and I was nervous, but I knew in my heart that I wanted it to be impactful. I didn't want to just go up to her and and you know like <clears throat> selfies. You know, I'm a fan of yours. <laughs> you know. Because I've been following her for so many years, and she's so inspirational, and I had gone through so many things in the last year and a half, two years in my personal life, my professional life. So this was very important to me, Mm -hmm. and I wanted to walk away from this experience with something to hold on to, not just a picture. So when it was my turn to go up to her, I took a deep breath, and I was like, okay, it's go time, Michelle. And I walked up to her, and and I, I don't even think I took a breath in about a minute. I told her everything that I had been going through and how I felt and where it brought me and where I was in my mental state, my emotional state. And she she took her glasses off and she held my hands and she started to cry. She literally started to cry and she poured into me from her heart about overcoming adversity, about continuing to go forward and just lay my bricks one by one it doesn't matter how fast i go as long as i keep up the momentum and go in the direction and not focus so much on the destination just keep laying my bricks and that the world needs me and that i have a gift to give that that turned into like a 10 11 minute conversation and there was so much more that was discussed but it was just in that moment oprah and i and then when we took the picture I thought that I was done, so I started walking away. She said, Michelle, come back. One more one more thing. She's like, I want to take one more picture with you. And I was surprised. So the first picture, she had her arm around me. The second picture, she's like, I want to take one more picture. So she's standing next to me. She puts her hand over her heart, and she says to me, you're going to look back on this picture one day, and you're going to remember that I said that you, Michelle Hecht, are all heart. And she took, you know, her photographer took no. that picture, And from that moment on, that's my screensaver on my phone. It has not moved. (laughs) And she said, no more playing small. You're never going to play small again. You're going to go home and you're going to go for it. And that was when I came home three days later, COVID shut everything down. It was craziest thing, the timing. But from that moment on, I decided I'm never playing small again. And I'm going to whatever I have my, my heart set out to do,
0: I'm going for
1: it. So yeah, that was a that was a turning point for me,
0: yeah. Yeah, I remember I, I read the post when you had narrated this, but as they say, you know, the words probably did not convey the whole story, which you did just now. So yeah, that was beautiful. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. So uh, Michelle, you have had this incredible career in you know medical sales for about ten years, if I'm correct, ten or thirteen years, I'm not
1: uh, much longer. <laughs> uh, okay. I. I over o- over 16 years and then other sales experience, you know, careers before that.
0: Yeah. OK, I'm probably bad with maths because I was doing the no, whole no, no, that's okay. on LinkedIn. <laughs> Sorry, my bad. So and you recently took this, uh, you know, career option where you turned to coaching. And I, w- I want to talk a lot about that. And I think that's exactly what we're going to discuss today. Why does coaching not get that fancy name? Why isn't that sexy? Why, why don't we, enough people talk about it?
1: Because there are so many coaches mm-hmm. and it's it's not very specific. And there are coaches for, you know, exercising, for athletics, for, for sales, for business, for transformation. You know, there's life coaching. There's so many mm-hmm. coaches. So I believe that, number one, it, because it's such a broad term, people just associate it with other types of coaches. But number two... I, I really don't think that a lot of people understand the value and what coaching really brings to the table. They know that there are sales trainers out there mm-hmm. and I've done sales training too, but coaching is a journey. I, I think it's something that that we need to educate people a little bit more about because so they understand the value mm-hmm. of helping people become better and, and take the tools and the skills and the resources and the style that they already have in sales and, and only help them level up with it.
0: Right. And uh, I think when I was reading more about you and more about the coaching part, I think this is something which we also discussed some time back ago. And I'm a big fan of Don Staley, right? After, especially after I watched the whole Netflix playbook, because I, I remember I, I made like a whole carousel on Instagram. I'm not sure if you read this, but she inked like a seven-year uh, contract for twenty-two point four million dollars. Wow! So the reason I'm bringing this up is a lot of people think coaches do not make money. Coaches are, you know, that, that that's predominant. That's a predominant notion. Hey, you're a coach. You probably don't don't make enough, and probably that's not the journey everybody should take. But that 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 which is fair, totally. Uh, but yeah, I think um, I wanted to put out that point. You know, that coach coaches do make a lot of money. I mean, we're talking about Tony Robbins, let's say.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Coaches make a lot of money. And I don't know if there's a specific scale that people can use to measure, you know, as a barometer, like who's super effective, who is not. In in my experience, and I have met with so many coaches, I know many coaches, the coaches that bring real raw experience, real world Mm -hmm. experience to the table and, and not only help their clients based on. Book knowledge or, or or courses they've taken, but people that have really been in the trenches and they've done everything that they coach, mm-hmm. that they help other people do. Those are some of the most effective coaches that are making a lot of money because they're successful and they know how to relay information and help people because they've been through the journey themselves.
0: Absolutely, and uh, since we are since you are a sales coach, Michelle, and that's this is for our audience, of course, to know. Uh, we are here to talk about today the sales coaching, right? And um, I, I was, I had a point which is uh, that companies do have have most of the companies do like a fantastic job in upfront training in terms of hey, we have got the best training. And if you go to any job description today, right, whether it's in US, whether in India, any country, right, you will see in the job description you will always uh, see uh, this point, you know, we have a four week onboarding program, six week onboarding program. I don't see, I've come across any job description which says we have a you know fantastic ongoing ongoing coaching program. <laughs> Nobody says that.
1: Absolutely right. Absolutely right. I couldn't agree with you more.
0: So um, why do you think that is? Like, Or do you think somebody has actually tried to solve this problem or why do you think company is not solving for it?
1: And that's a great question. I wish I could give you a broad blanket answer because the, the one thing I can agree with you um, on, excuse me, most if not all companies have a like you said a fantastic onboarding program. They have sales training. You know, people come in whether it's a week, two weeks, three, four, whatever it is, they go through mm-hmm. modules, they train them on the product, the service. It's interactive, they have to pass exams, they have to role play all of that. Very, very interactive and lots of information in a small given, you know, amount of time. Mm-hmm. However, coaching is ongoing. Training training it occurs when it's over it's over and we have to soak in as much information as possible in a short period of time and when we're entrenched in it in the beginning with onboarding we know it we have it we get it you know we we can model it we can role play it it, it we get it however after training is done whether it's in-house people that are employed by the company that are trainers or there are third-party, you know, trainers that come in that the company, you know, hires to bring in on a consulting basis, and they come in, they do their thing, and they leave. There's hardly ever any coaching, like follow-up. Mm-hmm. So you could train people on the most amazing sales techniques and skills, and how to role-play, and how to negotiate, and how to close, and taking them through the sales cycle and the funnel, mm-hmm. and the CRM. If there is not a coaching program in place. To really help that information stick and to model it for sales professionals, Mm -hmm. within 30 days, and statistics prove this, within 30 days, more than half of that information they were trained on falls by the wayside. And some companies companies do have coaching, but it's not promoted as much, like you said, as the sales training. It, It could be a manager maybe once a month. Or that works with the sales professional, right. or it can be other sales professionals on the team that ride along or that sit next to that representative. Mm-hmm. But it's not something like you said that that's glorified and promoted as much as, as the training and the onboarding initially.
0: Absolutely right. So I think I, I got like two points from what you just said. One, I totally agree with you. Maybe most of the companies already have a coaching program that uh, that's not just glorified because maybe that's not what they think is important for anyone who's probably applying for the job because for everybody, it's like, Hey, how would I get trained? How would I reach there? And they don't, a lot of people do not worry about, you know, the coaching part, which, which usually comes after. I do 500% agree with what you just said that, you know, most of the training is forgotten, right? I think there's enough study. I'm not sure if I can name the research companies, but yeah, there are research companies. There are enough case studies, which shows, I mean, I'm sure we also have heard about that whole dolphin, um, you know, uh, attention span right uh attention span of eight seconds and we're talking about the whole training while we understand even if you go through the role plays there's no guarantee that the person will remember stuff for obvious reasons you might have done the role play for let's say x scenarios but you don't know when that scenario will come into the picture by the time let's say it comes in 30 days later you don't know you know and there's no reinforcement so are you saying uh, are you saying coaching is uh, and again i could be totally wrong and i'm thinking from a layman perspective here sure what you're saying is it reinforcement or is coaching different?
1: I think it's a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. I think not even I think I know coaching has to be ongoing in order for the information and the skills and the techniques that people learn during training mm-hmm. in order for that to stick. If 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 representatives sales representatives are not getting feedback mm-hmm. and they're going through the motions and they don't fully comprehend not only what they've learned, but how to implement it properly and how to create a cadence for themselves Mm -hmm. and how to create their own business plan Mm -hmm. that they can, you know, that's repetitive and that's consistent. Mm -hmm. If they can't do that and they're not getting feedback and it's not being reinforced, like you said before, they forget a lot of it. (laughs) And you brought up a good point with the dolphin, the attention span that, I mean, we could research that every day, all day. That is, mm-hmm. that's science. Yeah. So, the other thing I wanted to add that I, want, I, I didn't mention before, if our attention spans in sales training are so short and we have to keep doing it over and over and over in a small period of time, think about sales professionals when they're prospecting. Think about sales professionals when they're on the phone or where they're in person talking to people. How many touch points do we need on average in order for that information to stick so that a prospect becomes a client and understands that we can solve a problem for them. It takes a lot. It takes numerous attempts, lots of touch points, Mm -hmm. lots of conversations. So it's like a trickle down effect. Mm -hmm. And if we can't do that properly and we don't understand and remember, and we don't know how to pivot and we're not reinforcing that and understanding what good looks like, right? What great looks like, how can we expect to get results when we're responsible for goals and quotas, and we have the prospects. So, it's it's all connected.
0: That is an excellent point. So, I think, Michelle, you've talked a, a little about what coaching is. Can you also talk, maybe stress on the fact what coaching is not?
1: Coaching? A great question. Thank you for asking. <laughs> it. Coaching is not telling somebody what to do. It's not just talking to them. Right. It's it's, it's, it's almost transforming them. It's, it's really digging deep and understanding what makes somebody tick, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, what their goals are, their aspirations, where they feel that there are gaps, there are disconnects. It's really getting into the minds of clients and understanding what their end goal is mm-hmm. and not walking in front of them, but walking besides them walking beside them and helping them through every step of the process and really helping them think for themselves. Coaching clients are answering their own questions. Mm -hmm. A coach is just helping them cultivate those answers and learn and grow and hold their hand basically and, you know, consistency, reinforcement, but it's bringing out the best in people and it's helping them understand that there are different ways to pivot. There are different ways to do things and and it's 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 a little bit of training, but it's not led by myself as a coach. It's led; they're the ones in charge. They're the ones in the spotlight. We're like in the background, helping them cultivate it and practice it and reinforce it.
0: Excellent. We all have seen these old sports person have coaches. Even coaches have coaches, right? Sure. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, when, when you talk to any, let's say sales leader today, all right, and if you talk to them about the coaching, most of them would acknowledge, hey, you know what, everything is fine. Uh, I, I don't think so, we have the need. I'm pretty sure you get that more, more than I do, right? When, when you reach out to these prospects, I'm sure you would have your own funnel and prospect like, you know what? We, we don't have a problem. I think everything is fine. I mean, most of the time from what I see, They are equating coaching with the numbers because they think, hey, if everybody's meeting numbers, I don't see the need. And everybody's and a lot of people are actually exceeding the quota. So that is the time when you go to somebody and ask them, hey, do you need help with coaching? Most of the time, your response would be no. Right. Why why do you think, uh, you know, we as sales leaders are afraid to maybe acknowledge? Do you think that's the case? Or I don't know, maybe are we afraid to be vulnerable? Hey, there's a problem with our system and we don't want to address it. Or maybe you think. It's a very small people problem which people are not acknowledging and maybe they're looking at the short term.
1: That's a really good point that you made about vulnerability. I wanted to capitalize on that for a moment. I think it's a combination of many things. I think, number one, sales leaders, whether we want to, believe it or not, sales leaders don't have the time to spend, whether they have three people, five people, ten people or more on their team, they don't have time to spend with everyone on their team for an hour or more every totally. single week and, and go back and forth via email or text or Slack or whatnot mm-hmm. because sales leaders are also paid and rewarded and incentivized on their team members as well. So okay. if they're spending most of their time coaching their team members and they're not focusing on strategies of getting everybody you know, on par so that they meet or exceed their quotas, That's taking time and money out of their pocket. So I know for a fact that that's one reason. Another reason is I I think you're right about the vulnerability. Mm -hmm. If a sales manager, let's say, was newly promoted because they've been a top rep in the field or a top rep in their company inside, Mm -hmm. there's a certain ego that goes with that. Like, hey, like I'm I'm really good at what I'm, I'm doing and I've proven myself and I've been promoted now and now it's my turn to be a leader. So many think that what they're doing is fine and they don't understand that coaching. If somebody comes in and coaches that it's freeing up their time and the coach is going to align completely with what the sales leader wants for the team, the organization. So a coach is not coming in, at least the coaches I know and most coaches I know, they're not coming in with their own game plan. And if they come in with their game plan, they're tailoring it so that it's very specific to what the organization wants, what the sales leader wants. And they are holding the team members accountable. That's the other big piece of coaching. It's accountability. Hmm. So when you mention athletes and, you know, even coaches have coaches, if we're not being held accountable and we're not being pushed outside of our comfort zones, how can we get better? Right? Think about the Super Bowl. I mean, how, marathons, these athletes train for how long before the big event? It Sometimes they need to, well, not sometimes, they need to be pushed outside of their comfort zones and, and you know, really push the envelope and get better and better and practice. Because if they don't, it, it's human nature to just be like, well, you know, this is good for now and this is working for me. So, but I don't think that they see, The the ROI. I don't think that sales leaders see the ROI with coaching. They think that it's just another expense Mm -hmm. and they don't have the budget, like you said, and they'd rather spend the money elsewhere on other resources. I don't really think that many sales leaders grasp the concept of how effective it can be because it's ongoing. It's not one and done.
0: I totally agree. And in fact, I'll probably support that statement with a simple fact. When I got promoted or when I first became the manager, I mean, I've had like uh, some sort of formal training on coaching like from years ago. But if you ask me uh, and if you ask any, any of the sales leader, hey, uh, you were probably trained on prospecting. You've done that for years. So that means we, you know that you're perfect. You can design strategies. But now when it comes to coaching, that's something you have not done before. You have not been formally right. trained. How do you expect that you will be successful at this craft when you have not done, not formally trained? And so how how do you, in fact, uh, let me ask you this, since you talk to a lot of sales leaders, right? Uh, How do you see this as a challenge? Or, I mean, does it ever come up that, you know? It
1: comes up often, it does. And you bring up a very, very good point. If the natural progression of sales professionals is to work hard, you know, really meet, exceed their quotas, do a great job, get promoted, get promoted. Like you said, they've not been in the position where they've coached, trained other people. Mm-hmm. They've, they've they've been so hyper-focused on their own productivity, right? So if they've never done that, there's a lot of um, psychology that goes into coaching, really understanding different personality types. Everybody has to be coached a certain way, trained a certain way. Everybody learns a certain way. Everybody mm-hmm. wants feedback given to them a certain way it's not a right. you know one size fits all approach so if sales leaders are really good at prospecting presenting you know demo discovery negotiating closing that doesn't always equate to being a great leader in terms of coaching and, and motivating and encouraging and speaking to different team members and personalities so you you, you can't do it all you, you can't do it all so having somebody come in or somebody that's appointed on the team or somebody appointed from the company to almost like subsidize right what the sales Mm. leaders are doing so they can focus on numbers and goals and KPIs, it's a win-win. It's not taking anything away from that sales leader or that organization. It's supplementing everything that they're doing and making it even better.
0: Exactly. I think it's one of those things, right? For example… When If I have a team of seven or eight, I can probably handle it myself. The moment it goes over 10, I would probably need a team leader to you know, split the team so that we can focus on like, less reps, but you know, we can focus more. So it's one of those things, right? You're actually bringing a resource to supplement, like you said, and eventually the goal is not to, not to you know, think any less of you. It's just that, you know, for example, someone like you who's actually done just coaching you know, for a long time, very, very long time, you are obviously an expert there versus me or, let's say, anybody else who's probably, let's say, who became leader because they were good at the craft, you you do that. You, you do more on the strategy, but leave coaching to the experts, maybe.
1: But I also think, and I agree with you on that one, I also think that when it comes to sales reps, I don't know if, and, and I'm not saying that this is the case, but this is a lot of feedback that I've received. Sales reps might look at a coach and say, I don't know if I want to listen to you. I don't know if I want to believe you because you're not pounding the pavement. You're not carrying the bag. You're not out in the field. You're not on the phones all day long. You know, so you're telling me to do X, Y, and Z, and maybe you've never done it before, you know. And so they want to model someone that's been like a high achiever, a president's club winner, someone that's knocked it out of the park, exceeded quota, made the big bonuses, got promoted numerous times. Mm -hmm. But there are a couple of coaches out there, and I'm being facetious, but there are a lot of people out there that have been there and done that. I carried very heavy quotas. Mm-hmm. I had goals and KPIs. I was, you know, an outside sales representative and sales leader yeah. for years, but I also helped coach and train people on my team and in my region and even across the country and I was appointed for leadership opportunities at national sales meetings. So mm-hmm. I carried, you know, I carried both. I developed a passion for coaching, and I was a top performer for years and won awards. I, I think it comes down to who the coach is, how they relate to their audience, how they connect, what they're bringing to the table, and, and, and it's almost like you have to close the sales representatives to to believe you and to pay attention and to really soak it in because you understand what they're going through. You've been there before.
0: Totally, and at the same time, I think I'll. Draw another thread from there, which is uh, we have to understand. I mean, how no matter how how much it hurts, you know, most of the sales leaders were promoted because they were good at the craft. So let's say if there was an SDR right. who became let's say an SDR leader today because they were good at the craft, right? Now, while we acknowledge, we're also acknowledging they were never trained. But at the same time, we also have to acknowledge that maybe during the interview process, when they were promoted, they were never even. You know, ranked or they were not even, you know, weighted on the fact that they have never coached, or do they even have those skills, you know, which will make a good coach? So I can see, for example, for you, you have been in, you know, uh, in into sales for 16, 17 years. You've ha- had teams before. So if I were to, let's say, get coaching from you, I would believe you, right? At the same time, I can see the overall personality you bring. I can see that you have the right elements for, because of which I'll probably listen to you. How do you, uh, so by the way, do you, uh, I'm sorry, sorry, I'm actually uh, forgetting my question. Do you also coach coaches? So for example, do you also coach the SDR leaders to coach their team better in your absence?
1: I have, I have.
0: I've worked with some small teams. Mm-hmm. I've never worked with you know
1: huge teams of like 20, 30, 40 people. I've worked with 10 or less people. Mm-hmm. I work primarily one-on-one. And my goal is always to find out what that person's, you know, that sales leader's goals are for his or her team. What do they want to accomplish? I understand they want to accomplish, you know, hitting the numbers. But there are a lot of, quote, unquote, soft skills that sales leaders need to have in order to effectively lead and manage a team. And we're seeing that more and more, especially during this pandemic. If you haven't heard, I mean, you probably did about the great resignation. It was going all around. LinkedIn and online, people want to feel secure in their role, on their team, in their organization. There's a phrase that I heard a few months ago that I absolutely love, and I think that it rings true across the board for everyone, and that's psychological safety. People, sales representatives, I don't care what what status Mm -hmm. they are, what level they are, Everybody wants to feel that they've got psychological safety within their organization and especially with their own team leader. They want to feel that if they fail, you know, if they make a mistake, they can fail forward. They can learn from the experience and there won't be retaliation and they won't be looked at, you know, looked down upon. You know, that's what fosters a healthy culture and really helps sales professionals level up and get better when they feel like, okay, well, I made a mistake and I didn't do it this way and I didn't do it that way. And, you know, it's okay. I'm going to learn from that and I'm going to do it differently and I'm going to do it better next time. And that is so important. Mm
0: -hmm. No, true. I mean, as long as you have that constant conversation going on and at the same time as a rep, if you're learning uh, and ensuring you're not making the same mistakes, I think that's a move forward. And if your leader is able to support, great. If not, the good part is you know there are enough opportunities out there i'm not sure if most of the leaders kind of acknowledge that or address that uh it, so right now uh, I, mean, I mean i'm pretty sure that's the whole situation everywhere whether it's us uk india we don't have enough sdrs everybody every company needs sdrs so what that means is every sdr who is right now working is in demand so much uh one of the things i used to tell my team at one point of time and this was like three years ago. If you're not get, getting approached by recruiters like twice a week at least, you're not doing something right. There, there's definitely something uh, but but today the situation is I think every every SDR is actually kind of being approached like twice you know by two recruiters every day, not even a week
1: probably yeah
0: yeah so the situation you is you want to know bad. why
1: that's so though? You, you would you like to know why that's so? and I'm not saying that they're not skilled and they don't have a strong background I mean obviously they do they're great at their craft I think and I've spoken to people about this. So it's not just that I think, I know this. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of turnover in companies. So when sales leaders think that, you know, why should why should we spend money on coaching? Why should we spend money on anything quote unquote extra? And they don't see the value of coaching. Mm-hmm. If they keep repeating the same processes over and over again, <clears throat> and people are leaving and they're not happy and and there are many other reasons besides not meeting quota. If they don't mm-hmm. feel that they have that psychological safety and that the culture is conducive to to growth and and learning and and just moving up the ranks in a healthy way, if they don't feel that, there's constant turnover. And so, one of the things that I always talk to sales leaders about when they give me that objection about spending money and how they don't mm-hmm. see that really, I, I talk about the cost of what it would look like. If there's constant turnover and how much money goes into training one individual representative. When I was in pharma, and this was years ago, I remember during my initial training that I was told that the average amount of money spent on onboarding, hiring, training a brand new sales representative was well over $100,000 when you factor everything in. and This is the benefits, the salary. Well, not just the benefits and the salary, but all the time it takes to really get somebody up and running and to do that and then have somebody fall off the wagon, so to speak, after one mm-hmm. month, two months, three months, that that cycle, that's very costly versus having somebody come in and align with sales leaders
0: mm-hmm. and, and
1: basically pick
0: up the slack while they focus on what they need to focus on. And it's mentally exhausting, right? It so is go exhausting. Through the, go through the same cycle every few months. Just because you can't make few things right, at the same time, you know, as a, as a leader, I would totally acknowledge, and I have no shame in admitting the fact that you know I probably think of that sometimes. I mean, not not maybe not maybe uh, because of my own reason, but of course, maybe maybe because of let's say, if I'm working in a company and I know my company would not probably spend let's say a ton of money for let's say extra tools or maybe coaching or whatever, right? Then I have to abide by that. I mean, even though I'm not saying that you know it's my company's fault, I'm saying sometimes uh even let's say evaluating a coach like you would require me to invest time right and most of the time let's say if my process is working fine if my team is hitting numbers i would probably be like you know what forget it right i'm pretty sure you get that a lot
1: (laughs) i do but but you you and i both know this very well if a team is hitting numbers right now Mm -hmm. and they have those quotas right those kpis are in place those are not going to stay the same every single month, every single quarter. So if a team is performing well over 100% right now, you know how the, you know how it works. It's like the, the better that you do, the more you hit and exceed those numbers, the higher the quotas get. And then all of a sudden, you have reps running to you. What's going on? You know, my, my, my quota was raised by 25% and, you know, <laughs> so... Just because something is, is perfect right now and it looks wonderful, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be that way next month, next quarter. Because think about it, you know, launching products, launching services, there's stakeholders, shareholders involved. They keep bumping it up, bumping it up. I mean, I've been through it where there were months and quarters, I was like 115, 120%. And then they were like, mm-hmm. well... Because you've been doing that, you know, for the last three quarters, you're capable of, of doing more, right? And then all of a sudden, my quota went up like 30%. You can handle it. Look at your territory. Look at the volume. Look at the market share you're doing. You can do more. Let's squeeze more out of you. So that's the definition of insanity. When you keep repeating the same process over and over again and expecting a different outcome, it's not forever and it's not going to stay that way forever. It's not. Yeah.
0: I'll tell you an instance, okay, in the same lines. So there was a time when I asked for the raise and then they said, you know, uh, and I, I think I asked for promotion or, I don't know, a raise or something. They said, we can give you a raise only if you agree to take a higher quota. Wow. All right. So well, what happened? <laughs> I, I don't think so. I, I did that. It's like dangling a carrot. Like, you yeah, know, I mean, we, we want to get more out of you. We'll pay you, but we want more. I know what I'm capable of. I I, 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 I know I can probably get greedy and take that money but in in the end i'm going to fail and then that's i'm going to look bad on both of us
1: who's right. making more money there though you with the raise or the amount of, of money that company. you're bringing for the organization by you know killing yourself to try to hit that insane quota <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> right exactly of course of course the company yeah
1: <laughs> yeah so it's really it's no skin from, it's no skin off their teeth it, it really isn't but when you <laughs> when you coach people and and you teach and coach and and empower people to do things a certain way and to really you know, build upon their strengths and handle things and understand how to pivot whether the quota is where it is now or it keeps getting mm-hmm. raised. When they're equipped with the tools and the confidence and the resources and the psychological safety, they can handle anything that's thrown at them. It's like a coat of armor. It's like a shield. Mm-hmm. No matter what is thrown at them, they're confident they can handle it. Not only when like things are good, and the quotas are low but no matter how that fluctuates no matter how much turmoil there there may be or you know reorganization yeah. restructuring they're equipped and they're 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 ready for action and they can handle they can handle those different situations effortlessly
0: no no i totally know what you're saying i think i have so much to add but in the interest of time <laughs> we're going to probably park that conversation for a later time So, Michelle, you planned this fireside chat with uh, Heather uh, Monaghan on her book, Uh, Overcome Your Willence. I think I really dig the title. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that so that audience can uh, tune in on December 7th? Is that right?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I have met a ton of people throughout my career and especially over the last few years really ramping up on LinkedIn and and networking. And Mm -hmm. from all the people that I've met and people I've worked for. Heather Monahan is like the one single person that I identify with more than anybody. Her story, how she overcame adversity, the things that she's accomplished, a lot of those things I aspire to be and I aspire to do. And so she's 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 a role model for me. And I I really I love her story and she just came out with a brand new book Overcome Your Villains. And it's an unbelievable book because it talks about resilience and confidence and how to quote unquote, fire your villain, fire your villains, people that are not supporting your growth, people that are not supporting your journey, people that are actually looking to negate it and pull you down. It's about developing your own self-confidence, knowing your worth, knowing what you're capable of and and just putting yourself out there and going for it and being unapologetic about it because it's your life. And so because of my excitement around this book launch, which Mm -hmm. was yesterday, and my admiration for her, I decided to have this event on December 7th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And it's interactive. It's not just a webinar. She's not just speaking. It's completely interactive. It's a Zoom. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: everybody is going to be able to see her, hear her, ask questions. It's interactive. It's It's a fireside a fireside chat it's very laid back relaxed but i'm so excited about it because uh there's going to be so many golden nuggets from that
0: i was really looking forward to attend it but then i realized it's like an evening chat and it'll be like six five six a.m for me yeah. so i'm pretty sure i'll have to miss it but i'm definitely going to look forward to see if there's a recording or something i can uh, you know grab uh michelle we're going to quickly do a rapid fire if that's okay of course all right awesome all right. Can you build a solid sales team with no marketing whatsoever? Yes. What career would you pick if you were to start again in 2006?
1: So, I would start as a coach, probably not a sales representative.
0: Got it. Your biggest pet peeve in sales?
1: When people only, you know, give features and benefits and don't ask questions and don't really take the time to get to understand their their clients so that they can, you know, mold and and pivot and give them information based upon their problem and their pain point.
0: That's, that's a very interesting one. All right. I know, although I know, already know the answer to, but still you can choose one person to bring with you to Mars. Who would you pick and why Oprah or Tony Robbins? Oprah. 100%. Oprah. I don't need to know why. I'm pretty sure you already answered that. <laughs> All right. Uh, your one, only one favorite salesperson.
1: I'd have to say my dad. That's, my dad m- modeled that for me and he's been in sales. I mean, he's wow. retired now, but he, he's been in sales since I was born. And my dad pretty much laid the foundation and taught me everything that I know and that I was able to develop and just, you know,
0: build upon. So my dad. Okay. I'm going to ask you one last question and this is something which I did not write down. I just thought of it while you yeah. we were talking. I think I feel uh, a sense of comfort with you. Why, why do you think that is?
1: I could tell you that immediately. I, I'm real. I'm genuine. I'm passionate about what I do. Every single person that I've ever spoken to about mm-hmm. what I do, they feel it, whether they feel it through a screen on a Zoom or they feel it live in person or they feel it on the phone. People know, not only I know what I'm talking about, but they can feel and sense that I'm passionate about it and that I want them to succeed and that I care.
0: How, how can people be real? I mean, I, I know it's... Uh, so when you say you know, you're real. I totally get that. And that's the whole reason I can totally say I'm very comfortable with you. Uh, if you yeah. ask me, I could probably tell you my whole life story. I mean, th- that's how comfortable I am with you. So I- I'm not going to get into that why people are not real. So wh- what do you think people can do, let's say, as step one to become more like you?
1: I would, th- th- I love this question. And-, and quickly, I'll tell you, I wasn't always able to be this person, to be mm-hmm. so real and vulnerable and transparent. Mm-hmm. I wore the masks for 20 years. I had a persona, a front. I was a certain way, depending on my audience. And it was a rehearsed, you know, it was a rehearsed thing. I had exactly what I wanted to say. And because I said it so often, I believed it. Right. And I never took those masks off until I got home. And so I learned that when you start to chip away slowly just being vulnerable, sharing about your hardships, sharing about not only all the amazing things that you're doing, but actually being vulnerable and sharing where you need help, asking for help, you start to realize that people are not going to stand back like, oh my God, you're so weird. You're so different. That's how we connect with each other. We're all going through things. No one is perfect. We're all feeling the pain of different things. We have a lot more in common with everyone else than we realize. And when you start to open up and talk about these things, your guard starts to slowly drop. And that is the most effective way to become quote unquote real because that's what people connect over. They don't connect because they think you're this amazing specimen and they wanna know you and buy from you. People are emotional creatures and people make buying decisions purely based on emotion. That's what drives buying decisions.
0: I, I totally agree with everything that you're saying. And I think I would really, really love to talk more about this. But that was beautiful what you just said. I think uh, I can relate to it to an extent because I think I started becoming vulnerable like probably six, eight months ago. And I can totally see the difference in the way you know people approach me, in the way I approach people. I think, yeah, you're right. I and mean, then the tip, tipping away the mask kind of uh, really helps. So this was beautiful, Michelle. I, mean, I can t- honestly say this was definitely the best episode I've ever hosted. Aww. No, I, I, I really I mean it.
1: You. you ask such wonderful questions. They're thought-provoking and they're so relatable. And I know that even though they're questions from one single person, from you, mm-hmm. I know that you're speaking on behalf of so many people that are thinking and feeling everything that you are and that you've asked me.
0: Absolutely. That's exactly what I'm trying to do most of the time. Yeah. But yeah, you're you're definitely the Oprah to me. I can honestly say that.
1: <laughs> ah, that means everything to me. Thank you.
0: All okay. right. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much, Michelle, uh, for coming to the show. Uh, I think I can probably take take one of your picture from the LinkedIn Uh, in case I need, I'll probably uh, get back to you. Um, I'd uh, also request if you could send me your address so that I can send something to your way.
1: Oh, thank you. Of course. Absolutely. I will do.
0: Yeah. All right. Awesome. You have a good, 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 good afternoon. Okay. (laughs) Bye.
1: You too. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. All righty. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye.
0: You've been listening to the Sales Spin Podcast, the only sales podcast from India that focuses on helping people get into sales and help the ones who are already in sales reach to the next level.